Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Francisco Delator. With me today, I got Joey as the co-host, and we're joined with John Ansa. This is round two at the Heights. Yes. How's it going? God, I'm so happy I'm back. Yes, sir. Yeah, first returning guest in the podcast history. I'm, I'm really just flattered and honored all at the same time. I really appreciate it. It's great to be back. Uh, there's, been, there's been so much activity since the last time we talked. Uh, last time we spoke, we were actually closed, and we were talking a lot about the effects of the pandemic. And uh, we've had a summer and a fall and now entering into winter since we've talked. So there's been there's been so much and, and, and so much has happened at our hotel and then also in the city of Toledo. So it's been great. So thanks for having me back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it was weird because last time we talked like, what was it, May? It was it was believe, to the yeah. point in Toledo where things were looking like they were going to start opening up. And mm-hmm. now we're, we're approaching 21 at this point And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things have changed. We we had some guesses about what was going to happen during the pandemic, but none of us really knew. Yep, that's true. It's a really good point. So what would you say when um, back in May, when you thought about reopening and you knew that there were going to be some regulations in place? Mm-hmm. What, what was what do you think was one prediction that you got right about the pandemic and one that you got wrong? <sighs> Francis, that's a good question. I think one thing that I got right was that there was going to be a huge necessity for sanitation. I knew that if restaurants were going to reopen, like restaurants and gyms, I put in the same category. There was going to have to be intense, intense around-the-clock sanitation. So as far as hand-washing stations and static spraying and using uh, disposable menus and disposable cups, and uh, yeah, I even put in six-foot distancing. I didn't know it would be six feet, but I know I, I knew there was going to be, like, they were going to, you know, turn restaurants into basically like a sanitation bubble. And you know, we've done that now it's kind of the norm, but that was something that I definitely mentally prepared myself for. I think some of the other ones, you know, I may have been off on, but I definitely felt like, man, I nailed that sanitation. For sure. Yeah. So throughout this past like six, eight months, have you guys seen like, how has your business been? Like how has it been as many people coming out? Uh, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think we had a incredible reopening and I know a lot of businesses uh, didn't, weren't as fortunate and weren't as lucky. I think I said to you guys last time is that the business of restaurants is a lot of times about real estate. It's, it's where you are. And if you look at where we are, we're on the 12th floor in the rooftop of a beautiful boutique uh, style hotel um, that has this amazing rooftop that has panoramic views, 365 panoramic views of the city. So with it, with an out with outdoor seating. So I think when we reopened, people naturally are going to gravitate here because it's an, it's an incredible experience inside Toledo. So we were incredibly successful. Um, you know, we lost half of our seating because of the six foot distancing. We had to make some changes, but you know, the top line revenue we brought in was extraordinary. We had an incredible summer, a great fall, and we're even having a good winter. And when I, I say that, you know, are we, are we at half our budget? Yeah, but we're, we're so successful for where, where we should be, to be honest with you. And how much of that do you think plays into the, the hotel aspect of it instead of it just being a restaurant? I think that the hotel definitely helps a lot when you have sleeping rooms. You have 246 sleeping rooms below your restaurant. That really helps. But I, but I also can say that we had a lot of social guests that were non-hotel guests. Like our occupancy levels are down. Uh, I won't even give you the percent because it's like it's, it's, you know, it's a tough number to even talk about. But we had a lot of just social public guests that came in. So I think it does help when you sit on top of the, the hotel because, you know, you – it's a landmark. It's the Toledo Renaissance. But people came up here. We had a lot of people come up here not knowing we even were a hotel. That were just they just knew that the heights. They thought we were just 
Oh, you're just the restaurant. You know what I mean? We're just coming up to the restaurant. Oh, no, we, you just passed 247 rooms. So you can stay in those rooms. So we did educate some people. But I think because of what this space is and, and where it sits and it, it, it's, you know, it, the experience it gives, people just want to come here regardless. For sure. People just thought there was nothing in the first 10 stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we're sitting, we're, we're sitting next to the fifth, third building. And uh, you think how many of those, uh, you know, floors are vacant. There's a tremendous amount of them vacant, but yeah. you know, so there is something on top. I know there is something on top of that, that, uh, that building, but there's a lot of vacants in there. So they maybe thought it was similar to the fifth third. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. That's fair. Yeah. So speaking of some of the restaurants here, I believe you guys have had one uh, downstairs as well. Is that one still going? We no? did. Yeah, we had, that's called the brim house. Okay. And, uh, unfortunately we did not, uh, we did not reopen that. And I think the decision behind that was that menu is definitely a little bit more towards leans towards fine dining. And this one obviously is a little bit more polished casual. So, it made, we knew that we could facilitate the staff, we could facilitate the food costs, we could facilitate the beverage costs, uh, you know, much better up here. And that to run a fine dining restaurant, that takes a lot of labor, that takes a higher food cost, takes a higher beverage cost. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a lot more of an undertaking. And we knew that we needed to bring back revenue as, as quick as we could. And we also wanted to get people out here and get people relaxed and, and back to eating and drinking and, and, and taking in the hotel. And we knew that the Heights offers that experience, it's that, that quick or that fast casual experience where people can just come in and just immediately get sat and, and eat and drink and socialize. And, you know, it, it was something we thought, hey, it's going to be great PR for us as well, too, to get this place open. It made more sense to have it open, you know, especially with an outdoor patio like the one we have. You know, you're sitting on a rooftop bar. It's just it's going to create positive vibes. That's what we wanted. Yeah, definitely. So we talked a little bit about social media right before this and how you can use it as like your personal life or you can use it for brand awareness yeah. or you can try to like sell on your social media. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that coming from a position where you can you can make authoritative decisions about a company? Um, in regards to uh, selling social media or just in social just media? Just marketing yourself, brand awareness. How important do you think that is? I mean, in 2020, heading in 2021, it, it's paramount. You You have to have a social media presence. I think... Now, I don't know the I don't know the direct analytics between, you know, our social media and the revenue, but I, I know there is a correlation. There's a strong correlation because I can tell from when we post things like, for instance, we post a new to go menu. And then 25 minutes later, I see seven orders come come through on my email notification. I know that's because of the social media post, because that's the only channel that we've posted it out there. So I think you have to have that. I think people are, are looking for instantaneous information. People attention spans are, are very small. So we just posted a video that was uh, that was six minutes long. And uh, people were like, oh, it was really good. And it was really long. You know what I mean? People now, six minutes is like a long video. People are expecting everything in like 30 seconds. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that you have to have that presence. You have to keep people uh, you know, updated with what you're doing. You have to, you know, Instagram is one we use a tremendous amount. Uh, I love Instagram as a platform. I think that uh, people are, are visual learners and, you know, I think people want to see those visuals. So we post a tremendous amount on that. We give a lot of updates on Instagram and it's just easy for people to click on and find out what's going on at the Heights and then, you know, and click off. So, yeah, for sure. it's so funny that people know it's like six minutes is a long time. Yeah, isn't that wild? That's ridiculous. I know. You, still, you know, and it's I watched all six minutes of it. We had this great video that we just did with uh, Tim McMahon from 419 Nosh for uh, Buckeye News. And I thought it was great, but, you know, some people can only last like three minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you got like 
TikTok, which is, I think, like 30, Under a minute, 30 15 seconds, seconds or a minute, yeah. I believe. Yeah, so, so it's quick. And that's been blowing up. So Yeah, TikTok is, uh, we won't get into TikTok. <laughs> that's not something I will see us get into. Yeah. We'll stay with Instagram, Instagram and Facebook. But uh, kind of going off what you said, like right now, especially too, when you like look at a lot of uh, restaurants, you search them online, you're like, I don't know if they're open for sure. And then like you gravitate towards the social media. And if they don't have like posts saying, oh, this is my new menu, this is when we're open. Like sometimes you're like, well, I don't know enough, so I'm probably going to go somewhere else. It's a really good, really <laughs> good point, Joey. I mean, I was just searching my restaurants. I tried to search my restaurants, you know, once a week and see. And I noticed that our downstairs restaurant. It didn't say that we, it did say we were closed, but when you first looked at it, it it said that no reservations were available for the next two and a half hours. And I immediately went on and said, well, how do I get that to say closed when someone, and I was typing in the Heights and it said suggested restaurants and my second restaurant was suggested. And the first uh, uh, word wasn't closed. And I thought, I need to get on there and, and, and try to get that to say closed. Now it is closed, but you know, you're constantly trying to look and, and see how you can get that message out as quick as possible. So, because we've had some customers call sometimes and say, hey, you know, it, it doesn't say you're closed. It just says that you didn't have uh, reservations available. It should say you're closed. People want things to want to know things mm-hmm. immediately. And there's a lot of platforms that you have to, to get on. When we make a decision on changing hours, you know, we have to get on the Facebook, we get on the website, we get on the Instagram, we get on, you know, any of our QR codes. So there's a lot of areas that you have a, you have a checklist that you need to hit because people use so many different ways to, to get their information now. That is the worst, though, is when you go on and you look up a website or you look up a you search like restaurants near me or something and it doesn't say closed. And then even worse is if you like you actually like want to go there and it's closed or many times, too, is like the bread pudding yesterday. Oh, just not there. I know. <laughs> I won't know <laughs> so but yeah. we, went, we went to a place and they had no bread pudding and we were extremely sad. You guys love bread pudding. Oh, we do. This guy does. Uh, you dirty. go to seek out restaurants for bread pudding? I mean, I don't know if we like seek it out specifically, but if we go to a restaurant and it's there, I'm going to get it probably 10 out of 10 wow. times. We've actually, Dirty Bird, uh, right downtown, that great. Like there's is that maple bacon and uh, some type of chocolate one, both phenomenal. And then uh, Old Bag and Nails has a bread pudding. There's is there's just like more of what you'd expect like a homemade bread pudding to be. Oh, okay. And uh, Dirty Birds is like deep fried, so it's Ooh. insane, but like they're kind of like different to compare. That's great. But uh, those are like the two best in town, in my opinion. Wow. So, okay, bread. If you ever get a chance to go to one of them, yeah. I highly recommend check out the old bag of nails bread pudding. Yep. I've only had it like twice in my life, to be honest with you. With bread the vanilla wafers. Did you... Did you you ever eat it with the vanilla wafers? That's that's how my mom used to make it yeah. back at home. She yeah. made it most of the time with the wafers, sometimes with um, other stuff. But like, uh, yeah, it's good either way. I love it every wow. way, shape, or form. Just learn something about you, Joe. The only one I've ever had was that uh, yield dirty bird. So really, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 the standard's pretty high. I don't, I don't know. And it's like you you got to be expecting when you get the one at Dirty Bird. You have to be expecting it. It's like huge. Is it so? It's, it's big enough for two people. It's big enough for two people. I mean, unless you like go there just for that. You could probably finish it by yourself, but wow. I'd recommend it for two. We're gonna start doing <laughs> bread pudding up here so you can compete. <laughs> hey man, that'd be awesome. All right, um, well, a little off topic here, but <laughs> today is the Manchester Derby, and yeah, I see that you always post about Pep Guardiola. I love Pep Guardiola <laughs> on, on social media. <laughs> yeah, I do. I love him. I, first of all, I love his uh, his fashion sense is incredible. So uh, his, and I would say that. Uh, his tailoring, what makes him such a good dresser is because he has impeccable tailoring. His, his, his clothes fit him perfectly. They're not too big. They're not too tight. They just perfectly fit him. And when he's moving and walking, I notice that like 
his his garments never or like or like too close to his body or holding him back or constricting him at all. So I found out that his wife's his wife's father is was an Italian tailor, and I may be misquoting, so don't quote me on that. But there, I, I and I I read that in a in a article a few years ago, and yeah, and I also really so it's that I think is why I really like him, and then also his his attacking style. He's he's all about the attack. He's all about the offense. He really believes that a great offense and a great attacking offense will will beat any great defense. So I think that I relate him to to my business sense where always be uh, offensive, always try to keep moving, always try to keep moving the ball, keep attacking, keep attacking, keep energetic and active people around you, keep people that are offensive minded around you. And I think that in the restaurant business, you have to be really offensive. So I try to correlate what he does as a soccer manager to what I do here. And, you know, it's really, like, as I said, just be, just be offensive minded. And, and I, and I like his energy and his, and his passion. And, uh, he's also, uh, a real fan of the past and he's, he, he's really always welcome, welcome to celebrate his mentors. And he talks a lot about people that helped him and shaped him. And he has a really good relationship with his players and he has a really intense relationship with his players. And it's a very, like, he's a manager and he's a coach, but he speaks to them like a player and he speaks to them with a lot of intensity, and he also gives them space. Uh, there's a great documentary that he did uh, on Amazon, and that's where I I learned a lot about his style because I'd watch him connect with his players, and you know whether they were they did a good job or a bad job, he was really in their space and was able to operate in their space, and I found that to be really impressive in his his leadership to be. To be incredible. And he's a fearless guy. I and mean, he's not a big guy, you know, and he's he doesn't weigh much and he's not very tall. And but he is fearless. And I I imagine if you were in his presence, you there definitely you would be a little intimidated by his fearlessness. And I think that that's one of the things that all those things that I've mentioned are why, you know, I really like that, that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the greats. He's one of the greats. You know what I mean? And he's been and. He's been successful in a lot of places, and to be successful in a place like Man- in-, in Manchester City and playing the Premier League, and to go up against those guys and uh, he- getting that ownership to continue to-, to bring the money in that they do, I mean that's am- that's amazing. So there you go. I went off a whole riff on. <laughs> no, you're good. I was just wondering. I yeah, why well, I, I like the- on him. Yeah, I thought it was the fashion sense and only that. It, 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 it is. But that, that connects pretty well. As well. It started there, and it's like, but you know, you can't let it just stay at a, at a superficial. Uh, uh, post there, Frankie. Like, if I just was like, I like, you know, what I mean, like, I can't like anyone. And if I just in that sense, like, I'll start liking them that way. And then it's like you start learning. But I'm like, and usually if some, if I like someone for their dress sense, I think that that's there's something about their character that I'm gonna like. If I think if the per, the type of uh, way that a person dresses says a lot about themselves. So I think if I initially was like the way he dressed, I, I was gonna like something else about it. Right on. To be honest with you. It's always crazy too. On match day, he might come in and just like a jogger, and then other times he might come in with like a suit and tie. No, no, you don't know what he's feeling. Yeah, yeah every day, other but day, the tail right the immaculate every time. Every time, it doesn't matter what he's wearing. His 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 fits are are perfect. There, okay, go. And uh, I mean, that's Joe said this on the last podcast, but like, you look good, you feel good, you feel you can just conquer the world. You know, exactly. I've always had that mentality. It's, you know, it's something we did even at the Heights, I will tell you, that we, you know, we've had, we, if you see when you walk through and anyone that comes through, we have our T-shirts, right? And our T-shirts have sayings on the back, right? But 
you know, the way that we even designed our t-shirts before they just wore black, all black shirts, right? And when I first got here, I thought we need to have a symbol, right? Now we're a fast casual, uh, polished casual restaurant. I said, you know, so I don't want to button down because I know how hard they're working. I know how much they sweat. I know how much they're moving. But so I was like, we need kind of a really simplistic, crisp, clean t-shirt that has a, you know, and if you look at our shirts, they're uh, they're a na- dark navy blue with a with a beautiful uh, white lettering, and it's a real kind of basic white lettering. And then we have our really cool height stick figure on there. It's very artistic. And on the back, it says, uh, I think it's Explore Drink uh, Toledo. So we have different sayings, but the idea behind that, and then you know, some jeans and some and some uh, you know, it, it Converse or or, or nice uh, tennis shoes. And then we bought them the quarter zips, which I'm wearing right now. So there's certain things that we wanted to do that show that, hey, listen, like, you know, we're, they're crisp, they're clean, but they're casual. And they, I can tell you that the staff feels good in them. They like wearing them. They're comfortable. Uh, you know, je- jeans are comfortable to work in. Tennis shoes are comfortable to work in. And when you have a, a cool T-shirt on that's crisp and clean, and you're going to feel better. So yeah, I think that is, you know, you nailed it right there. We want to keep people... People are comfortable and they feel good about what they're wearing. They're going to be successful. There it is. I was going to mention the quarters. It's pretty nice. I like that. (laughs) Just got them in. And these are done at um, uh, uh, Jute Mode down the street. That's awesome. We always go local. We're actually uh, working with them right now to get uh, quarters in for uh, our whole team. Oh, they're great. (laughs) They're great. uh, Yeah, Adam Street. I mean, we've been great partners with them. Uh, Since I've got here, I've bought every piece of uniform that's been through Jute Mode. So I'll continue to do so. And I do for two reasons. One, because it's local, and one, because they do a great job. So those two are simultaneous. Local, they do a great job. And, I mean, they're reasonably priced compared to anywhere else you would go as well. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, we're talking about local, and Joey's got a nice – what do you have in your hand right now? I got uh, a coffee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the Flying Rhino, I believe it's called. Flying Rhino yeah. Coffee Company, yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Angie. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right, so in case anybody missed the, the first podcast, can we get just like a Spark Notes version on how you got here sure, yeah. and, um, yeah, what's your role? Oh, thank you. Yeah, so uh, my role is the director of food and beverage um, for the hotel, so that includes um, our downstairs restaurant, our upstairs restaurant, our banquets and, and catering uh, department. Um, I have been here almost two years. Uh, I got in this role from basically spending the last decade in – restaurant and food and beverage operations inside of uh, luxury hotels. So I've worked for uh, a lot of different companies. I've worked for Marriott International. I've worked for Omni Hotels, worked for Destination Hotels, worked for some high-end private country clubs, um, uh, five-star clubs, and then spent some time working in some boutique hotels as well. So I've had some really great lifestyle experience and, as I said, luxury experience. And I came here uh, from I was doing a, doing a little uh, stint out in San Francisco, and I uh, got here about yeah almost almost two years ago to come in here and uh, to build a team up and to really push this lifestyle brand into the city of Toledo. Cool, there you go, right on. That's the spark notes for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> good for sure. I've noticed a few changes here since uh, the last time we've been here. You guys have the igloos outside. You want to yeah. touch on those a little bit? Would love to talk about the igloos. <laughs> you know, we always love to talk about the igloos. Uh, everybody wants to talk about the igloos. I never thought that a uh, fire retardant uh, piece of a sheet and PVC pipe would would excite people, but as much as they do, but. It's what you, it's, it's not that, it's what you put inside them and, and the experience you create. So it's something basic and then you build it up. 
Uh, yeah, we these are uh, things that we've wanted to put up for some time now. People have been winterizing their patios for uh, Chicago, uh, New York, have been doing it for the last couple of years. Uh, they have these amazing patio spaces, but they lose them during the wintertime. So they've created these igloos. And I should say I should say Chicago, New York, and excuse me, um, Nashville. Um, Tennessee did them a few years ago as well. So we wanted to do them. We weren't successful last year, but this year we were successful uh, to put them up. And then it also became a way to uh, uh, socially distance guests with the pandemic. So it started off as just a uh, thing just to winterize your patio and just to keep people outside. And then it became, hey, these things are can help people social distance. So uh, we've put them up. We have two up. We're about to put a third one up. Uh, we've we've had we've brought in some local partners to help stylize them. And what we call them is basically a winter escape. It's an experience. It's a winter experience. It's a, it's, it's a time for people to go out there to enjoy craft cocktails, beer, wine, and food, and do it in a really cool setting and in a warm setting and also an opportunity for people in small groups that, that trust each other with social distancing to get together. And I think one of the things that we're seeing in the restaurant business is that people are, the word crowd is a no-no, you know, crowds they are trying to, to limit uh, crowds, you know, 10 or less, 25 or less in some other gatherings. And here it gives you an opportunity between six and eight people that you trust and that you know that you can still social distance with and you can get in and have an igloo and get it in a shared space and not have to be around a crowd and not have to be around a bunch of other people. And I think that there you'll see igloos continue to be prevalent in all restaurants. You look at downtown and you look at the Blarney has in now, right? And it's an opportunity for people to, to keep these spaces open. And if you look at what Ohio has said, hey, listen, and even Michigan said, like, outdoor dining is allowed if you can keep outdoor dining going. Well, it's very hard for Michigan and Ohio to keep outdoor dining going when the temperature's in the 30s, right? It's easier to do when you're in places like North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. So places like uh, restaurants uh, like Ohio and in Ohio and Michigan specifically have to create, they have to bring these out to keep people outside. The air's, you know, air's flowing. Outdoor uh, is, is definitely a little bit safer than indoor when it comes to COVID-19. So these igloos provided a tremendous revenue opportunity. They've been incredible for us over the last two and a half months. They've been really successful. I know they'll continue to be successful and we'll increase revenue with even the third one coming up. Really, really excited about them. And I'm glad that we that Toledo gave us the okay to put them up because it's 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 helped us a lot. That's awesome. And I was gonna kind of mention, I haven't seen them in many restaurants. You mentioned the Blarney mm-hmm. uh, here in Toledo. My uh, a lot of my family lives in Cleveland though. Yeah. And they're pretty decently prevalent there for all the big like, you know, uh, breakfast and lunch spots. Oh yeah. And uh they're nice. I mean they're always a good time, you know, like you said, you can connect with people in a closed environment and it's awesome. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid we built snow forts. <laughs> you know, yep. we'd hang out all day in those snow forts. Yep. And there's something about that experience just being in there or a tree house, you know. There to me it, it reminds me of building a snow fort being in a tree house. It's just there's something communal about it and it's fun. And, you know, it's 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 the new velvet rope. You know, you go to a club, a nightclub. Well, no one is now, but they when they used to go to nightclubs, uh, you know, you, you sit behind the velvet rope. And there's a little bit of that effect, the velvet rope effect. And there's nothing wrong with you going out and, and take, spending your hard-earned money for, for a great experience. So, uh, you know, that's what that's what we work for is to is to enjoy ourselves. And that's what restaurants and rooftop bars are there for. They're there for people to connect, socialize, and to reward themselves uh, for a job well done. Well said. Well, we're talking about outdoor, outdoor seating and how it's been extremely difficult in the Midwest or, you know, it will be in the winter season. 
Um, what is the fuss with the like space heaters and getting them? Like, is there just like a, a supply chain issue here? Yeah. It's really, you know what it is, Raggy? It's supply and demand. And I think that you have two different types of people buying space heaters normally. You had residential people in their houses, you know, honey, it's too cold in this house. Okay, oh dear, I'll buy a space heater, you know, and vice versa. Men and women both both have problems with uh, with cold weather, and so you have residential buying a lot, and then you have restaurant, you have commercial buying a lot. So the it's just supply and demand; they're just running out of them. They don't have enough made, they don't have enough produced. I mean, it's like initially when we had the pandemic start, they ran out of masks very quickly. You know, three MMM didn't have enough masks. People that norm because who use the mask? You know, construction construction workers, people in the medical fields. You know, primarily, but then you have residential just coming in, buying masks, buying masks. And you know how people are. I mean, look what happened with the toilet paper as well, too. Hoarders. I mean, it's you know, hoarders, people hoarder. So there's someone okay. sitting now that has about, you know, probably a full a full closet, you know, full of masks right now. So same thing with space heaters. And what that does is that drives the price up. Right. So, you know, inflation is never good. So I think that, you know, we were lucky to get uh, to get space heaters in because we needed them. But, yeah, they're they're. They become a hot commodity now with with face masks and toilet paper and space heaters and you know they're all and it's going to take some time for some of these production companies to ramp up because they're still under the impact of COVID and they still have to look after their employees and they've had to slow their production down. So unfortunately, it's a vicious cycle of what's going on right now. Is that you know you want these companies to come in and produce, but you know they're having trouble keeping their employees. You know safe with this so it, it, it's created a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a problem mm-hmm. yeah that's with you yeah that's what i've been hearing from i feel like on the news just everywhere it's just like can't get space heaters can't anywhere space heater. <laughs> yeah i have three i'm not parting with them <laughs> i'm keeping my space heater <laughs> i actually three, uh, three personal buddy. ones or yeah okay. three industrial okay space <laughs> and they're back at your house <laughs> yeah, you just, you, you know, man, you called me out there. Yeah. Called me yeah. out there. That's who they are. My house. <laughs> no, I actually had a friend uh, in early May when space heaters weren't at like their peak demand. Yeah. He had bought into a stock in which they were manufacturing um, space heating. Really? Yeah. Oh, that was smart. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just like asked him, I was like, dude, like, how did you know that was going to be a thing? He's like, with everything else going on, like in the winter, and there's there's gonna be a, like a shortage somewhere. Wow, what a smart guy! Yeah, I was I was actually blown away. I was like, that's that's some forethought right there. That is some forethought. Yeah, yeah so he must be doing transcendental meditation <laughs> if he's able to come up with those ideas. Uh, do you do any of that? Uh, it's a good question. I actually was uh, talking with a guy uh, who was uh, selling me on a new inventory system, and we got into that conversation. He, I do a little bit of it. I have, when I say a little bit of it, maybe like two years ago I did it. I didn't, I haven't kept up with it. You know, there's a lot of stock in it. A lot of uh, famous and successful people. Jerry Seinfeld does a tremendous amount of transcendental meditation. I think there's a, most senior executives do it. Uh, and like I said, a lot of famous people, a lot of successful people. I think there's nothing wrong with reflecting and, and sitting and, and meditating. Uh, I think that yeah, we should, all should take a time to, to sit and, and relax and calm our minds. You know what I mean? I think there's, uh, you know, there's an old saying like one mind. You, should, you need to have one mind, you know? And I think that a lot of times we get pulled in a lot of different directions and we can make rash decisions. And I think when we take the time just to sit and relax and, and just to be in thought, that's good. Jimmy Valvano, 
you guys know Jimmy V, right? You guys know Jimmy V. He's coach of NC State in the oh, 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's... He, he, the amazing he, run. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, best run, Survive in Advance. Amazing documentary. Mm-hmm. He said you should do three things every day. You should, um, you should think, you should laugh, and you should cry. And if you do those things, three, three things every day, you've had a full day. And he said, every day I do those three things. You know, some, is, the, and is the crying sad? Sometimes it's, it's tears of joy. But the idea is that when you're, if you're doing those three things, you're, 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 you're fulfilling all of your emotions. You're fulfilling your thought. You're really tapping into every part of, of, of your being. And uh, I've always kind of thought about that and think, you know, maybe that's my form of, of meditation. Maybe it's not sitting, you know, in silence, but, you know, having a full day. Like it, like that, and maybe doing those three things is something that'll keep me, keep me going. That's a really unique perspective. I've never heard that. I, I what is it? I need to watch. So that. it's uh, he actually said it. If you watch this, his his last uh, when he got the award uh, from the ESPYS, uh, his last speech that he gave before he he uh, you know he fortunately passed away, unfortunately passed away. He says it in his speech. So if you type okay. in Jimmy V ESPY speech, it'll come right up, uh, and he says it right in there. He also gave an amazing uh, motivational speech right after he won the, they had him on a motivational tour and he was speaking to a bunch of successful uh, CEOs uh, after he won the uh, NCA title. And he has a hilarious motivational speech where I think he mentions it's in, in there as well, but he definitely mentions it in his last SB speech. And if you look at the amount of the, the guys that he's revered by, I mean, like, um, Mike Chesky is just, you know, he says he misses them every day. You know, Dick Vitale talks and says he like he lost a body part when he lost Jimmy V. I mean, he's so revered by people because of his personality and who he was. Um, he did a tremendous amount. You guys will be interested. In this. He did a tremendous amount of radio before, you know, there wasn't any podcasting, but he had his own radio show and like most coaches do. But then he had his own talk show and he would bring in other academic people from NC State. So you'd have like the department chair of the agriculture uh, department come on. He would interview him and ask him about this. And he would bring on like the economics chair and he would interview all these people like inside NC State and just talk about what they do because he was so interested in what everyone else do. And he wasn't he said that he's like, you know, I the only thing that kept me really in school was basketball. So he wanted to learn about things. So he's a really he's one of these guys. I think that's why if you look at him, you think, why was he why is he so revered? It wasn't just because of basketball, it was because of everything he did with basketball, you know, how he included himself. So he's another person that I've always tried to look at and go like, hey, you know, I'm energetic. I'm 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 excited. I'm happy. Here's someone else that's like that. That's really, really that's was successful. So there's a blueprint there. You don't you can be a nice guy and still be successful. You know what I mean? I think I always try to look at people and think, you know, hey. This person does things that I wouldn't do and that's, and they're successful. So sometimes it, it, when I was younger, I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to be successful because I don't know if do you have to do these certain things. Do you have to, to be successful? Do you have to have this kind of negative impact on people? But then you you find people in your life that are successful and they're happy and you're like, oh, okay. There is a way to be a nice guy and nice guys can finish first. And I think that that, that gives me a lot of hope. And I try to tell that to, to anyone that I work with, like do the right thing worth it. it's a little bit harder but you know what you'll you'll get there yeah definitely and i mean measuring other people's success is is very flawed i mean everyone's success is subjective really to your point you know that's how i look at it everybody has their their own motives but as long as you like stay true to yourself yeah it's a good point i try to i'm surprised you've never seen that uh 30 for 30 it's it's great yeah 
There's so many of them. Oh yeah, there's a lot. The last of them. dance, I was like the last, last, the last like real like that was really good. Yeah. Was the last real like, sports like media that I got into. Yeah, there was a lot behind that that I had no clue about so what's going on in the background. Did, <laughs> I mean, that was 1993, right? That's yeah, maybe you know. I mean, oh, man, that was no maybe a little. I know 95 because like, the Dream Team, right? They covered the Dream Team. Yeah, it was yeah 95, and then but they kind of talk about like their whole you know man. the span from when Jordan got there to what like, left kind of. I know. Like, what an organ. I mean, what those guys went through. I know. It was just crazy hearing this Ooh. stuff about, like, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, too. Like, that was yeah. just... Yeah. I was amazed with the whole relationship with Jerry Krause and how he was trying to break up the team and yeah. how he, you know, was trying to bring certain people in. And there was, like, this antagonistic relationship between the organization, Michael Jordan, Jerry Krause, and all that was going on. And, like, we're not re-signing, you know, Phil Jackson. I mean, yeah. just kind of an incredible... All this, uh, these, these, it was like a soap opera. It really yeah. was. And then they were, and then they would go out and win. Yep. Yeah. Like win 82 games. So, and not even have the really support of the GM and have all these internal conflicts and still go out and beat teams by 30. And maybe like the greatest team ever. Yeah. You have Dennis Rodman, hasn't been to practice in two weeks, shows up and gets a 20 and 20, you know? Yeah. He was, <laughs> he was an incredible athlete. And, you know, there you just look, you, you look at that and you think, I mean, that is, that's the greatest team. That may be yeah. the greatest sports team. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to see them do a documentary on the Patriots because they were so successful. Obviously, there was turmoil there. I think that would be another one that, like, you'd love to get inside a winning machine and, and, and see how those guys – because I imagine there's been there was a lot of tough conversations and and uh, but you know their ability just to continue teams to keep on winning and I mean that that was 18 years of beating almost every team so they have to have hours and hours of film that they can oh, go yeah. off of from that I mean it's 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 incredible to be that successful you know you look at some franchises that have really great seasons and then the next year they don't even make the playoffs you know go. Yeah, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, we won the Super Bowl and next year, you know, you made the playoffs, but, you know, everyone's like, repeat. No, we haven't been back since. And now we're three and eight. So still have a chance to make it. Yeah, that's yeah, we do. Everybody does. I could feel a team right now in the NFC. So I think I could be competitive. Washington, probably. We could get a couple guys. We get a couple guys in Toledo. You know what I mean? We could put a team together. We may be able to play the playoffs, guys. It's pretty bad, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, 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 that's a winning formula, but it's personnel. I mean, I think, you know, same thing as you're at Heights. It's like, I was going to mention to you guys, like, it's all personnel. It's hiring. It's getting the right people. You know what I mean? I used to think when I was young in my career, it was all about training and forcing people into roles and, like, pushing them and pushing them and pushing them and, and trying to get them where they need to be. But a lot of it now, I realize it's like, you got to hire the right people. Got to hire right people, and then if you put that you put that same effort in the training, you're gonna you're gonna reap the rewards. But personnel is, and we've done a great job of bringing in some amazing people here who are, who can open restaurants and close restaurants and and do the right thing and and make good judgment calls, and that's what that's what you hope for. You know what I mean? And I believe you said most of your staff stays here a pretty long time, correct? Yeah, we've had you know we've had uh, if you minus the pandemic, we've had staff that is been here for almost all of them been here a year which in the restaurant business in a hotel is pretty tough you know i think benchmark out in perrysburg does a really good job of maintaining their staff we actually have a podcast with them next week oh do you really (laughs) yeah Yeah, they're great they do a really good job and you know 
I don't, I mean, you know, competition or not, they are a gold standard when it comes to restaurants here and they keep their people and they have a really big, they have a community of servers up there. They take good care of them and they're very passionate what they do. And we have, we have a similar base here. We have people that, you know, that like this place and make good money and, and bring, bring things to it. And I think that's harder in a, in a hotel restaurant, to be honest with you. There are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of variables here and there's a lot of ever-changing parts and a lot of different guests. And, you know, there's not a lot of regulars. It's a lot of different people and, you know, but it's very fast moving, but we do a good job of, of keeping people here because, you know, we hire the right people. And then we also, we also take care of their, of their, of challenges and obstacles that they have. We take them serious and we invest in them and they invest in us. And we make sure that we keep that relationship with them, that they know that we're invested in them and that that in return, they have to be invested into us. And if that wanes at all, you know, either way, we, t- we talk about it. If there's, if there's a drop in, inve- in investment on either side, we try to figure it out. We don't let that just, you know, that just uh, mushroom cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. and I think you, you have to do that. You have to have those, you have to have those honest conversations with yourself and honest conversations with your staff on if there's challenges, you just can't ignore them. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, confrontation, you got, you have to accept confrontation and you have to, you have to meet it and then try to figure it out. And, we do a good job there about that. Yeah, and I think you touched on it last time. Um, if somebody, you know, may be having a bad day, some bosses may not want to find the reason they're having a bad day. And they might be like, oh, this person is just slacking. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to here, you know, you want to find the reason if somebody's having a bad day and fix that before it ever, like, you know, becomes, blows up and yeah. they start feeling bad every day or something like that. Really good, so. really good point, Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, man. Absolutely. So how much of your job do you take pride in between like being logical and doing all of the right things by the book and then also having a sense of like emotional intelligence and being able to be very personable? How important is it to be able to um, have a have a realistic viewpoint in both duality? Uh, that's an amazing question. Because um, obviously we're, the position you're in, it's all yeah. about affecting you like you know, the bottom line. That's really business. good. It's a really good question. Um, I think that... You know what? It's hard to it's hard to find the balance of that sometimes. But you, you have to make we have to make. I think I th- as an operator, you have to think of the business first. But I think what you try to do is you try to place yourself in a position to make a good business decision that's not going to affect too many people negatively. And I think you do that by understanding your business model. I think if you build, I think I mentioned it last time, like if you build a good foundation and a strong business model and you understand it, if you have to make a decision that's going to, let's say, that's going to affect people negatively, the, your, you, the impact won't be as great because you understand your model and you're working within your business model. And I think that you do that by you know, the products that you buy, the, the, the beverage programming that you have, the, 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 the menus that you create. You understand who your customer is, what they're buying, what you're buying, what you're selling it at. And if you do that and you work within those constructs, when you have to make a RAS decision, you're not going to to negatively impact too many people. And you also need to communicate your business model to the people that are working for you. And and I I took a minute to get to that, but I was actually working out in my head as as I was talking. Tell people what you're doing and what your business is, and and they then understand and then can work within it. 
So, yeah. you know. Oh, 100%. I feel like most times when you um, get into a setting, like a corporate setting or um, a larger business setting, it is to the point where you have people like in their own cubes and they don't really understand the ecosystem of what actually is going on within the business, why people are working on the business, how people are affecting the bottom line. And I think a lot of people struggle with communicating to their employees the entire business model and the reasoning behind that. I feel like oftentimes people just really get placed in their isolated cube, department, whatever you want to call it, without having a greater understanding of the entire ecosystem of the business. Absolutely. And that can ha- that can happen really easily. Absolutely. Yeah. And you probably know this more than anybody, Frank. It can happen right under your nose, right? And you don't even know what's going on. But I think the first time you hear that chatter and when they use the word they, and they say, you know, they're there or, you know, I heard they're going to do this or they're probably doing that. They've created their own ecosystem inside of an ecosystem. And we've all heard that. And the thing is, as a leader, you have to be like, oh, yeah, they've, we, we've, we, we have to break that wall down because they have to know that it's us and it's we. I, I always, you know, uh, keep note of that when any of those conversations come up because I want everybody, not everyone gets to make uh, those deci- a big decision, but I want everyone to feel like they're a part of something. So we do try to ask for a lot of constructive feedback from our staff and things that they're working on. And I, I, I try to personally get to every staff member um, definitely throughout the day. Anyone that's anyone that's working up here, I, I communicate to one-on-one with every day. Uh, I try to talk with everybody every day. And then, you know, some people that I maybe see once a week, I definitely make a point. But it's easier for me to do that because it's a smaller group of people. So I think when you move to a larger organization, we don't have the chance to do that. There, there is an opportunity for you to, but to convey those messages out. It just may be on a bigger platform, but you can still make that connection with people by letting them know what the message is. Yeah, I think the like the one-on-one sit-downs or talks that you have with people are pretty invaluable to your to your business, just because it's so hard when you're in a group setting to like actually let people you know know how you feel and then also for them to reciprocate yeah. their true emotions. It's yeah. just a lot easier one-on-one, and then also. You know, the, the bigger your team grows, the harder it's going to be, which is yeah. why you need to have trustworthy leaders or managers underneath you who can, you know, also do that work for you. And then there's a, a very streamlined process in which the communication is flowing up and down the stream. I'm reading this book, uh, Buddy of Mine gave me, he's a, he's a former Marine, and uh, it's uh, Jim Mattis, Call Sign Chaos. And uh, it talks about how he went through that, where he made a decision. He was promoted up. I think it was a battalion commander. He knew he was going to have less interaction with some of his soldiers. So he, he, he understood that and he accepted it and he didn't try to fight it. And then he did exactly what you said. He built up really strong relationships with his subordinates, with his direct subordinates. And he knew that if he conveyed the, those, a message to those leaders, those junior leaders, they would convey the same exact message to their subordinates. But he did that because he had trust in his initial subordinates and he knew his message wouldn't be construed. He said he was able to be effective. So when he would eventually get out to visit, to go into the foxholes, the soldiers, other than greeting him as a, as a general, would greet him with a certain type of respect and a certain type of understanding. Like, we know why we're here. We know what the plan is. We get it, General. We know. And he knew it was like, oh, so my messages are getting to them. Yeah. That's like the most intense game of, uh, what is it, phone call or uh, uh, telephone? Uh, telephone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was never good at that, girl. 
As I mean, hey, uh, you're a great communicator now. That's I, what it matters. Takes time, right? Yeah. <laughs> takes time, but yeah, I think that's a uh, that's a uh, it's been I've been I'm probably halfway through that book, and it's a very intense book because it's funny when you, it's a book for business leaders, but I I sometimes take a step back and be like, this guy's talking about combat. You yeah. know, he's talking about communication that's going to uh, depend on if someone lives or dies. So, I mean, that's pretty, when you're, and you're reading it and it's a very intense book to read and you're thinking, you take a step back and you're like, wow, I understand the intensity. It's life or death situations that he's talking about. So that should be taken, that communication should be pretty, pretty streamlined, right? So, yeah, it seems like a lot of the media that you consume, whether it be through reading or online is, is very, um, self-improving and it's through people that you like look up to. Yeah. Um, I mean, while we're on the topic, is there anything else that you really enjoy when it comes to like media consumption? Maybe not like self-help or mm. um, self-improvement, but it seems like you do a good job relating everything that you like read and see. Right. Uh, exactly. You know, yeah. Thanks, guys. Your uh, how you manage. I try to. I, I I'm trying to think. You know, of people that I really have a lot of like. I like. I I really I like people that. Uh, I'm really fascinated with people that have a craft or are interested in a craft and and pursue that craft. I find that like, I'm interested in learning about other people's craft. Like my craft has become learning about other people's craft. And I'm really interested in that. I'm trying to think if there's anybody really off the top of my head that I, um, that I want to mention, ah, oh, you know, it's just right now I'm a little, little drawing a little bit of a blank. Maybe something will come to me, but yeah, I, 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 I think military leaders are, are, are great. I, I, certain politicians, uh, early politicians, I, I, I try to, I try to follow. I try to look at you know at certain mayors and in, in, in certain cities and, and, and see what their impact was. I think it's just it depends on you know what I'm reading and, and what I'm finding out about. But yeah, I try. Do you have any guilty pleasures when it comes to media consumption? Oh man, guilty pleasures. Uh, <laughs> I oh, man, I love uh, you know I love to watch. I love watching three minute clips of The Sopranos. Okay, because they're all over YouTube, and I, for some reason, I will love to watch like a three-minute scene of like Tony Soprano talking to his capos. I just find like they're just like it's just um, they're just awesome scenes, and they always include a little bit of food and beverage. You know that's what I always really love about it too. Like there's a great scene when they're uh, Paulie and Ralphie are negotiating something. And like they have a little, they, they, uh, Silvio's there and he's like three expressives and the guys, and they're in like a warehouse, you know, and there's construction everywhere, but they have this, they're at a plastic green plastic table, but there's beautiful espresso cups and they're talking about like divvying up $15,000 and like, it's, listen, it's a criminal thing. I get it. But I love watching like little clips of that. Cause I think I grew up around a lot of Italian people growing in Philadelphia and the, the relationship between like food, wine, business, the per- everyone's got a big personality. Everyone's got a character. Uh, I, f- I watch like little clips of that. I also really love like little day days in the life. I really love like days in the life of like, uh, like sports, like athletes. I really love, uh, like if they did a day in the life of pep, I'd probably watch it like every day. Uh, there's one they do with uh, cliff Kinsbury from that used to be the coach of Texas tech as a coach. Of- I find him to be interesting. You know, he like, he gets to work at like three thirty in the morning, and like he he works out in the morning to show his players that he's just committed as him. So I like the days in the life, I and and especially of like I find it like younger successful people. You know what I mean? 
that are really pursuing a craft and, 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 you know, and all the little, little trappings that come with it, you know what I mean? The little cool things that they get to do and, you know, and thinking one of the episodes, Cliff's like taking a plane to like one part of Texas to do a booster meeting and then he flies back and he's got this. And I like to watch people have like full days. You know what I mean? It's just, just them in their, yeah, in their craft, I guess. I'm repeating it, but. No, I love those. I mean, those are, those are just easy to consume because you really don't have to, um, you don't have to do too much critical thinking, but you can still appreciate like what they're doing. And yeah. You can also think about like how you apply it to your life, but it's just so, always so fascinating, especially like sports athletes. Like, I just, yeah. That. You know, I thought of someone, I know I've been talking so much, but I thought of someone, um, uh, Kurt Russell is my favorite actor and I've always really appreciated And I didn't know why he was my favorite actor. I loved a lot of movies he was in like big trouble in little China and like the thing and he's in this best of times. But I've really grown, grown to understand that like, he's a very like unassuming person and he's very like, he's, he doesn't make his ego isn't very big and he's just, himself and he just is very self-aware and he knows who he is and i've i got into his wine club last year he makes wine i didn't even know he made wine and the way i found out that he made wine was someone told me there's a great new winemaker and he's making uh uh pinot french style pinot noir out in california and i tried the wine and i found that it was kurt russell after i tried the wine wow. so it's such a cool way i found it was like I was like, it makes sense that I would find out my favorite actor is making wine by not knowing that he's on, he's, his name isn't anywhere on the bottle. And I was like, that's now I know that's why I even love Kurt Russell more and more. And I think it's just the movies and the style of movies he made, a lot of his movies initially came out and people are like, oh, they're not good. You know, they're too strange and they're weird and, you know, Escape from New York and all these movies, you know. Now they're like critically acclaimed and they're cult favorites and like people love them. And so I think that he, he, he was kind of ahead of his time in, in some of the stuff that he made and people that he worked with. And he's someone that I, I look at as like, you know, that's a, I never really, I never really considered him to be like a real actor. He's an actor, but he always seemed like he was just Kurt Russell, just Kurt Russell in a movie. And he played different characters, but to me, he it never seemed like, oh yeah, Kurt Russell's an actor. I was just concerned. I was like, oh, it's just Kurt Russell. He's just he's an actor, but he seems to be just more than that. Just seems to be just within himself. So great perspective. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Also, I love that you had the wine first before yeah, you his. No. Yeah, I was out in San Francisco, and a buddy of mine mentioned it to me, and I tried it, and I was overjoyed, and I kind of was like, and the wine was really good, and then I found out it was his afterwards, and I thought, man, that's great. Like that's that's it makes me like him even more, right? Especially because yeah, right. he wasn't showy; he didn't like put his name on the bottle just for the recognition. Yeah, of Kurt. You know? and and a yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> some guys will do that. You know, uh, I had a chance to meet him. Actually, it's so funny. I got invited out to a, a members-only wine party that he nice. hosts every year, and it was on May thirty-first, which was on my birthday, and it got canceled from COVID. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was all excited to go. <laughs> But you know what? There's a, oh, I think there's an old saying. I heard Ryan Gosling say it recently. You never want to meet your heroes because they'll always let you down. I don't think Kurt would do that. But at the same time, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to meet him. I don't know. Cause I mean, this thing is, is like you build him up in your head. What if he's having a bad day? You know what I mean? Like everybody does. I don't think Kurt Russell is that type of guy. I think he would be really great. But at the same time, it's like, sometimes you just like, you don't want to meet like, you know what I mean? You don't want to meet your heroes because you're just like, ah, just have them out there, man. If I meet him, maybe I'll, I, I don't want to plan to meet him. I think that's what I'm kind of saying. It's like, 
I don't want to have a planned meeting. If I just run into them one time in my life and maybe it happens and I have good interaction with them, hey, that's great. But it's like sometimes when you plan it, you just build it up too much. You know what I mean? Right. Kurt, what up? Kurt, what up? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If I talk about his wine enough, maybe he'll come. Maybe he'll. Uh, take a visit down uh, to Toledo. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's been through it. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So bringing it back to the Heights a little bit. Um, besides the igloos, has there been any other changes in the past, you know, six months to a year? Um, we've, we've definitely went through some menu changes. Uh, we update our menus uh, seasonally, uh, summer, fall, and winter. Um, we've updated our cocktail menus as, as well. We have an incredible partnership with, uh, with Kettle One Vodka. We, do, uh, we have a bottle service program with them that we released with the igloos. And we also have a really, really great botanical mule program we do with Kettle One, which is, has been outstanding for us our, people love our mules they love a moscow mule i was like, gonna say last time i was here yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah. it was phenomenal thank you man thank you i appreciate it man and it's it's a copper cup and it really signifies that i say that you're off that you're off work and you're hanging out and you got a copper cup and the light hits it a certain way and there's a little gleam off it and it just it's it's different than holding any type of beer mug or wine glass it's just a, it's a vibe and that's a program that we really great. I work with the gentleman, Corey Williamson from Kettle One directly. We've built up a really incredible partnership. Um, and then I'm really excited about the food that our, our, our uh, chef, Mike Rigaud, does, who's a great chef that's been here. He just, he's been here a little over a year. He's our executive chef. He really gets it. He really gets the Toledo food scene. He really has built up an incredible support base here. He puts great – he creates great craft burgers – and amazing wood-fired pizzas, and then some really interesting, tasty uh, appetizers. We've had a chance to put out some great He has a burger on there, which is called The Beast, which is basically a mix of a lot of different uh, great meats. There's there's uh, oh God, it's pork shoulders, Wagyu in there. There's It's an incredible burger, and he has that on there. He's got some really interesting wood-fired pizzas. He's got one called The Rick, which is like a bourbon barbecue-based pizza, which is amazing. And then he has... Your traditional uh, mar- uh, margarita pizza, which is, you know, a, a traditional Italian pizza. And then he makes a great pepperoni and he, he's just he's got a mushroom and onion. And he's really dived into uh, wood fire pizzas and great burgers and has all and then has taken it and then really kind of developed into this really great food and beverage program. So is the uh, Nashville hot chicken still on the menu? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to say that was, that's one of my favorites here personally. That's the, that, is, <laughs> that is the jam. As we say, that is the, one of the best uh, sandwiches we have. He spent time uh, in Nashville making that sandwich with some of the best Nashville chicken sandwich makers in the country. So he, you know, when we brought him in, we knew that he had that Southern hospitality and that Southern cooking flair and that, you know, he could keep people's stomachs full and he could keep them coming back. And, you know, people, this is an opportunity for people to indulge. We have, we do have great salads. We do have an opportunity. We do have low calorie offerings, but when people come up here, you can have a beer and you can have a Nashville chicken hot sandwich. Or you can have a cocktail. That's what we want people to do. And then take in the view. So we want people to enjoy comfort food up here and and relax. And like I said, there's people up here who want a low calorie offering. We we sure do have it. So Joey asking the real questions about the national. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I've had a few of those around town too. Okay. And it's it's hard to 
Hard to beat the Heights one. I wish I would have had one when I went to Nashville, so I had like oh, you yeah, know the actual yeah the actual Bees. How, how did you do that? I don't know. Yeah, how could you do that? I don't know. We we were focused on some other things when we were down there. Yeah. <laughs> so huh. no, last time I was here though, yeah, got, got a couple of mules mm-hmm. and I had the Nashville hot sandwich. Yeah, phenomenal. It was like Thanks, one of the best man. dining experiences I've had. Oh, that's really I appreciate that, Frank. That means a lot, you know, and and it's it makes me feel good because it's simple offerings. You know, the Moscow mule is like three or four ingredients. The Nashville chicken hot, it's not, you know, it's not overly done. It's just, it's simple, good quality ingredients. And that's really what we try to do up here at Diets, you know? So I appreciate that compliment. Oh, yeah. And it was like the perfect setting, too, because it was just getting, starting to get dark out in like the end of summer. It was like 8 o'clock. Yeah. The fire was going outside. So yeah. we were all just kind of chilling. Had that copper mug. It said, like, I'm here to relax, but I'm also like open to like, conversation. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you yeah. Know, it was like, it was just like uh, the perfect setting. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. was awesome. That. I wanted to ask you, what is some uh, some slang from Philly that okay, might so not I, be known in the Midwest? Um, well, uh, John. Okay. You know John is, right? J-A-W-N. Okay. okay. John's a noun, and John can mean a lot of different things. So Philadelphia uses that word to describe things like nice Johns. So that means that could mean your shoes. So if I walk by and I say, oh, yeah, nice Johns, that means your shoes. Johns can also mean hey, you're taking that John out this weekend. That can also mean a person. John can mean anything that you want to re- relate it to that you don't want to know people that you're, you're talking about. So I could say like, you know, I may be stretching a little bit, but I'd probably be like, oh yeah, give me that John over there. So John's a noun that describes a lot of different things in, in Philadelphia. Um, and there's a great scene in Creed. If you want to see how uh, in the movie Creed, when they go out to get cheesesteaks, in the fur and yeah, in Creed, he asked her that question: "What's a John?" And she goes, "That's a John. You a John? This a John?" And she starts pointing like the ketchup bottle. That's that. These, they're, these are all Johns. So Johns is a word that used in is in Philadelphia. This guy, it's it's that's our Philadelphia centric word. Okay, that's I like awesome. It. I've right. only ever heard that in like from uh, like Philadelphia rapper like music. John, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've, I hear them mention it a lot, and I guess yeah, you said yes. it can mean a little bit of everything. If you don't wanna. <laughs> It's a word, like I said, if you don't want people to know what you're talking about, you use the word John okay. to describe it. Okay. And you're hoping that other person picks up on that. Okay. And that's what, yeah, that's the, that's the most Philadelphia-centric word that I could go with right now. <laughs> other than yo, but New Yorkers use yo. I will tell you that Philadelphians use yo in a lot of capacity in a lot of different ways. So, like, yo can be aggressive. It could be like, yo. It can also be, like, apologetic, like, yo. It can be more, it, I mean, you could, I think apologetic, aggressive, you could question it like, yo, a lot of different ways we use yo to, to in, in different tenses. Okay. okay. That's yeah. awesome. There you go. Uh, Do you guys say in it? Like down there in it? Um, more of a Pittsburgh thing, I think. Yeah, that's a Pittsburgh <laughs> thing. Okay. Yeah, because one of the guys that we work with, Joe, the yeah. off here was last yeah. night, he's from yeah. Pittsburgh. Okay. So he was throwing around some like words and we didn't really know how they, and we didn't that, really know what they meant. So it's and just kind of interesting. Yeah, that's a that's definitely um, a definitely a, a Pittsburgh thing. Okay. Ours is a little bit like the accent is uh, Philadelphia accent is very nasally, so it's good that I'm a little stuffy today because I can get real <laughs> nasally. But we say more things like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, talk like that, right. and it's a lot. It's a very nasal uh, accent. You will, I will pick up on a Philadelphia person here instantly 
instantly hear in their voice. Yeah. Water. We were water. Yeah. Water. water. We yeah. were told water. it was the Steelers and Steelers. Steelers and the Eagles. The Eagles. <laughs> and there you go. So there's there's how you break up the accents, right? Okay. Eagles and then Steelers. Yep. So the Pittsburgh people are lower, yeah. like that, or much lower. Where Eagles people are like Eagles. Okay. Or higher, lower. Higher, lower. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Pittsburgh, yeah. That's that's exactly how they are. Pittsburgh uh, people, it's funny that we're in the same state. It couldn't be any more different. Right. A Philadelphian and a, and a Pittsburghian. I don't know how they, I don't know. But, uh, and it's funny, I've been to Pittsburgh once in my life. Really? Yeah, which is, I probably have uh, really missed out on some great things. Mm-hmm. But Philadelphians have like, and it's very vice versa. Philadelphians have no interest in people in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh has no interest in Philadelphia. And I love the fact that it's mutually agreeable. <laughs> don't have any interest in each other. Nice. That's awesome. I mean? uh, it's really, and it, and it, sh- it should be that way because it's just, we're separated. Western PA and Eastern PA are just, you know, we filter into the New York scene and there, you know, Pittsburgh is much more, I think, you know, Western PA, Ohio, and it's just got, a, it's a little more of a vibe over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's always been interesting, like that relationship where you guys agree to not like each other, but it's like the one thing you guys agree on. We really got that. <laughs> yeah. We really got like Eagles, Pittsburgh, um, you know, football games are great. They're great rivalries. I think for a little bit, Penn State really kind of brought us. To, now, well, now, no, I shouldn't because Pittsburgh doesn't consider Penn State uh, a real big fans. I just asked my Pittsburgh buddy. I would, I would think that Penn State would bring bring us together because you know we all kind of at one time I feel like Pennsylvania claimed Penn State. Like even people in Philadelphia were like, you would see a lot of Philadelphians went to Penn State for college. So Philadelphia people in Philadelphia like loved Penn State because they went to school there. So for a time, like a lot of like Pennsylvania, like adopted Western Eastern Pennsylvania adopted Penn State as like their college. Growing up, like there's not a lot of great football in, in Pennsylvania, like football, like, and especially in Philadelphia, they're in, the colleges aren't great. Penn State was like our college team. Like we would root for Penn State. You know what I mean? But I think Pittsburgh is more U Pitt. So not great for football, but good for education. Penn, great Penn State. So. Amazing <laughs> education. I grew up, uh, I got so many, you guys, once you guys get started, I got so many stuff. I grew up watching uh, what they call the Big Five, which is the five city schools in Philadelphia. They play a round robin every year. Uh, their non-conference schedule, they include all the schools. So it's LaSalle, Temple, uh, Penn, Villanova, and St. Joe's. And they're all, and there's, uh, Drexel is the sixth, but it's not included. So there's five schools. They play a round robin. All They schedule non-conference games. Whoever has the best record wins the Big Five. And all the games are held at the Palestra, which is at UPenn. And it doesn't matter, I swear, it, when I grew up, it didn't matter what the rankings were, what the teams were, every game was close. So I remember watching Penn beat Villanova, and Villanova was like 17th in the nation, was 11-0, played Penn, lost by two. And Penn had like, you know, Penn was an Ivy League juggernaut, but they were nowhere near to compete with that. And I would see, I'd see LaSalle play St. Joe's, and St. Joe's was like, you know, that year they made the run, and LaSalle kept it close for the first first half and they're down two going in the second half it just didn't matter it's just like a pride game and it's great basketball and it's always at the pen and there isn't a bad seat at the, at, at the palestra so i grew up my uncles took me to a lot of games uh growing up so you know and that i had a, i had a blast going to this you know what i mean because i've always really appreciated college basketball more than the pros because i always felt like you know you're playing for your school yep there's a lot more there's a little more honor in there there's a little more pride and and, and the, if you ever get a chance to go to the Plus at, at 
you pen. I mean, when this when this thing ends, you guys should do it. It's so worth it. And just go to a basketball game and go to a big five game and go, you know, pick a game when Villanova's there. Because, you know, Villanova's a top-ranked team. So pick a game when Villanova's playing the, playing there. Um, and you got, it'll, it's just, it'll be awesome, man. Keep that in mind. Don't play there. Yeah. Habitat too. Like the, whoever plays, the two teams will just, they'll, they'll, you know, it's, it's like the NCAA championship. Right. Every I mean, game. March Madness is just, with college basketball, it's so insane because anybody can win. We were talking about at NC State earlier, you know, any, anybody can really win. Once you make it in that tournament, it seems like it doesn't even matter. The three teams you expect to win almost never win, except for Villanova those one or two years yeah. when they were pretty untouchable. And then, But even then, even that Kentucky team that had five NBA players, like they weren't win. They won, I think, every game in the what? They choked that. I know. That's, what I'm, that. that's what I'm saying. Like it just, it's just insane great. to me. Like March Madness, you can always lose that one game. Like, NCAA tournament is awesome, man. It's yeah. just the greatest. 64 teams. You know, I, when I went to University of Dayton, we had the two playing games. With yeah. UD got the playing games, so they were great. I mean, we would go to them, and like I remember watching like Alabama. What was it? Not out University of Alabama. Alabama something Tech Alabama or something. State. Maybe it was Alabama State play Oakland University and like it went down to the wire and just there I mean it's just and then Oakland University gets in the, I mean both teams have never been to the tournament you know they're playing in the playing game to get the tournament it's just got to be fun I mean it's got to be I love to talk to a guy that was like or a player or a coach or someone that was involved in in in, in, in March Madness like what was that like mm-hmm. you know what was it like being in the March Madness and like moving up through the rounds like what's it like going from like round one to the final four or when you get that three-point buzzer beater, because it's like that seems to happen in half the games. It's like they're close, and then it's like a two or three wins a game, and it just seems to go in. Yeah, like, like, just yeah, regardless <laughs> of seed, every game feels like it comes down to like two it, shots. It does. Yeah. it does, and you know, and it's 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 so great because like you know, if you go to a small school, you go to a mid-major, and you achieve the tournament, you got stake in it. You know, you're like a stakeholder. You're like, yeah, like I remember when like. Dayton would make the tournament, or like Temple would make the tournament. Temple actually won a round. It was like great. And I'm like in Florida at a restaurant. I'm like working. I'm like, Temple's in a tournament this year. You know, I was like, yeah, we made the tournament, you know? And it's just that great week when your college or university makes the tournament. It's just a cool feeling to be like, yeah, man, like I'm a part of it now. Like I get to watch, and hopefully my team's like, you know, six seed. Oh, man, they may have a chance this year. It's just really. Uh, and last year, you know, UD, I think, really had a chance to make it. And then they cut that season short, you know, yeah. the tournament. That was that was killer, man. You close, turn off the NBA Finals, stop the World Series, you know, March NHL, Madness. anything. Don't keep March Madness. <laughs> Don't do the college football. And I'm not. A, I know guys are the big college football, but like I was like the one thing is like get March Madness, man. Yep. I mean, let's keep. That was the one thing that I was really upset about. I was like, that's the. I I look forward to that every year, and just watching it, you know. And Dayton's been, I mean, pretty good the past few years besides I think they had one year that was a little off I remember what four or five four or five years ago they made it to the lead yeah, eight they did they did so, it to the lead eight and, yeah. you know, and so and I've seen pictures of you day in as a whole the whole city there was just uh, yeah, they, were, they were they were riotous yeah a positive <laughs> and it was good I didn't see anything too crazy happening just a lot of people having fun you know what I misspoke Dayton wouldn't do that Dayton <laughs> Dayton's not they're not like Destructive. No, I went to school there. But when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, oh, they ripped that test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, Philadelphia's are a different story. Philadelphia's are a different story. If the Eagles make the playoffs, I think they may ride. Oh, that's yeah. awesome.
Not have you heard really. of a Have you heard of a place called McGillan's Old Ale House? Oh yeah, McGillan's in yeah, Philly, absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. had them on the podcast. Did you have McGillan's on the podcast? Chris yeah. Mullins, yeah. It's an honor to be on the same podcast <laughs> as, as the McGillan's. McGillan's is a great bar. Um, it's been around for. Did he say how long it's been around? One hundred and sixty oh. years. Yeah. yeah, you had McGillan's. You get that's so great, man. That's amazing. I mean, you look at a bar like that, and, and you know. 160 years, that's like, you know, I don't know how many generations got to be four or five at this point. Yeah. That's incredible, man. Congratulations on getting McGillan's to go to your bar. I used to get uh, pony beers at the McGillan's. I would buy, um, used to have Rolling Rock Pony beers. And we we used to buy them. They were like six ounces. And they were like, I think they were like a 50 cents or 75 cents a piece, maybe a buck a piece. And we would, uh, we would drink them and have fun, and McGillan's is great. It's a staple. It's a Philadelphia staple. That's awesome. Great spot. That's cool that you had McGillan's on there. Yeah. I'm going to look them up right after the podcast. I mean, they're, they're so cool. They're good, good people. Great people. Great story. And then, obviously, the 160 years of history, I mean. Wow. The, I mean, the podcast could have went on for hours. It could have. Like, it could have. You probably could have done three episodes. Literally. On McGillan's. Yeah. Wow. No, one of the one of the coolest experiences that I got was I called down to a place in Atlanta, and um, I, I messaged them on social media, and it's just like, hey, like I saw that you guys are mutual friends with one of these other um, mm-hmm. places that we've we've done a podcast with, and uh, of course the game bars from Atlanta, they were one of the first guests we had on, and this was before this was right at the beginning of COVID, and so I called down there, and I, he picked it up, and I told him who I was. Before I like, I even introduced myself as the host of the show, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you run that one podcast, don't you? And I was like, yeah, like how do you know? And he's like, yeah, man, like, we love your shit, it's fire. Wow. And so I, that was the first time I got on the phone with this guy, and I said my name, and he's like, yeah, like I know who you are, and it was just, it was crazy. Wow, that's incredible. That's the, I mean, that's it's, you guys are really building up a great platform. I'm telling you, man. We're doing our best. You're talking about a joystick down in Atlanta. Jo- yeah, yep. they were mutual friends with joystick. It was called the Whiskey Project. Cool. And uh, yeah. They, they also uh, had mentioned in the show, like, they're kind of, like, it is here, like, all the owners know each other. Like, they all talk. They oh, that's all great. make sure everything, you know, is, they have good uh, laws, you know, for the beers and beverage. I know yeah. a lot of uh, cities are trying to get the open container. Yeah. Because, like you said, you know, in the outside, they like people being outside. So, a lot of the places down there in, uh, what, Madison, too, or yeah. uh, in Tennessee, they were trying to get, like, open container, too. So, wow. it's a... Uh, yeah, it's so weird. Thing. You talk to all these people from all over the the nation, and um, they all most of them that we've talked to they they have like their own community. It's like you know it's like Atlanta, Georgia, but then you also have like Fayetteville, um, Arkansas, and then you yeah. have like Madison, Tennessee, and then you have like you just have like all these like weird, not weird, but just like unusual communities that you wouldn't think of when you think of like a hotspot for restaurant and dining because mm-hmm. like I feel like the south really does get overlooked often yeah in that absolutely. regard so, absolutely okay. I yeah. agree with you in Mississippi Jackson Mississippi yeah. like, they have like a really quaint like little community there and it's so cool to just like learn about all these different places that are all kind of doing their own thing right? yes yep. but at the end of the day it's so like community driven it's, it's really nice yeah it's just a weird relationship because it's like they all have like the same goal of bettering the community through like, what they provide yeah but then everybody has a little bit of a different approach to it. Yeah, I think as a whole, America is is a place that offers opportunity. And I, I know there's people that would debate that. But, you know, if you look at, if you go drive by these cities and everyone is trying to get on the map. And I think that well, that's what I really do love about America is when, you drive, is when you drive through places and you go to Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi is trying to do their thing, you know. And they're trying to, now it's like you have this new generation of people, these uh, that are coming in, they're they're investing in the Jackson. Like people want to stay in Jackson. 
people want to stay in Toledo. People want to stay Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah, Manhattan, Kansas. and like, and you drive, and you know, Manhattan, Kansas is, is now you can get a, a great meal and a great craft cocktail, and you can go by this. But and I think your guys' podcast is you're you're seeing that, like you're seeing, you know, hey, it's not just in major cities, and that's what I love about what's going on in our country is that it's not about New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. Um, you know, it's it's more about living in these places and building up your own little cities and 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 building up these lifestyles. So you don't have to live in large cities. You can live where you grew up and still have all the trappings of what a major city can offer. And I, I love it. I love that now you can travel to places like, you know, Jackson, Mississippi. We were, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday about like Little Rock, Arkansas, you know, like they're, you know, like you can go to these places and have cool experiences. And there's people there that you guys are meeting that are really like trying to do something good. And trying to build up a culture, and that's great, you know. And that's that's how it should be, and, I, and I'm glad that's the way it is. And it's 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 going to attract transplants. People will move to Jackson, Mississippi. People will be like, you know what, Jackson's great. I'm going to move there, right. and and you'll they'll go to places like that, and you'll get transplants, and and you want new people to explore your city, you know. But you also want the people that are in your city now to start, you know, to be a part of it as well too. I don't think you want to kick anyone out that's there now and you want them to be like, Hey, listen, let's, yeah, we need you to, we need you to invest in it too. So I think it's amazing. You guys have had a podcast that's been able to kind of take you there. Yeah. It's true. It feels like we're almost have been to each yeah, city we've like really done a podcast with. Cause they do such a great job explaining like, you know, what the vibe of the city is, what like drinks they serve, what so food cool. they serve. Like it just gives us a huge glimpse into every city. It's and so cool. I want to touch on that too. One yeah. of the things that we found from like our analytics, a lot of the people that we have on the show, like after having them on the show or like right before, they'll listen to a podcast and they're repeated listeners because once they, they, they hear it before we record, they're like, oh, I get what this is about now. Like I really want to be a part of it. Then they, then they do their podcast and then they like look forward to the following weeks where they can learn about other like epicenters around the United States. Wow. And it's like, it's like a really cool like learning community Yeah, and taking like the best parts from here and there, and then how can you incorporate it into your business and maybe be innovative in a new spot in the United States? Yeah. I, I think I, I, it's a good point. Greg. I learn a lot from other businesses. I know when I travel in other hotels, I, I, when I stay in rooms and I look at collateral, I look at what people are doing. I mean, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So I do it all the time. And I think I've learned a lot from restaurants, especially independent restaurants. They seem to be always on the creative pulse. They seem times not to do something you'll find incredibly creative just out of necessity. I remember being in a bar in West Virginia, and I remember them serving me. Um, they cut the tops off um, wine bottles and then used them as candles for the tables. And I thought, did you buy these? And they're like, no, no, no. We just didn't want to buy candles. So we cleaned them, sanitized them, cut them in half, sawed them down, polished them. Now they're candles. And I remember thinking like, yeah, you probably saved yourself like a few hundred bucks. And now you have these really cool looking candle holders that, you know, that were your wine bottles. And that was like the, one of the first notions I had was like, you know, like that's, that's creativity out of necessity, as I said. And I think it, you can learn a lot from, you know, like the chalkboard style that came from independent restaurants that came from somebody saying, you know what, we don't want to print the menu every day. We're going to write on the chalkboard because we don't know what the menu is, but we're going to figure it out that we're going to figure out the night before the day of we're going to figure out what we want. And also we may have a special. We only have a few, so we can't permit. So we're just going to write on a chalkboard. And you see chalkboards all over restaurants and especially like in corporate settings where like that came from somebody that that idea, you know, 
that's out of that's creativity out of necessity. And I've always gone into restaurants, small restaurants, as I said, and try to learn as much as I can. And you talk to these owners and they're real, always real matter of fact with you and be honest with you. What I like about independent restaurants, always really open and always willing to share. You know, they're not trying to hide anything. You know, they're going to tell you exactly why they did it. They're going to tell you what's going on. And, you know, they're real honest and, and truthful and hardworking people. And they're some of the best people that you'll meet is restaurant owners, real involved restaurant owners, not just owning a business and letting someone run it, like someone that's running it every day. You yeah. know what I mean? And you guys are probably talking to people like that. Yeah, we really couldn't have picked like a better niche. You said it. They're very open. They're very straightforward. Yeah. Matter of fact, they'll tell you how it is. Yeah. But they also have like a creative spark to them that every person's unique in that regard. Yeah. And how they're being innovative. And yeah, I just really like that we somehow stumbled upon this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly what they did, you know, what they did well and some of the stuff they didn't do so well along the way. They're very open about both those. Yeah. yeah. I think it's great, you know. You guys will continue to see meet some really wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, we, we had to adjust on the fly a little bit. First time we met, we really weren't doing that many, um, <laughs> that many, we weren't doing many remote podcasts. Yeah. We were, up until that point, I think you were our seventh or eighth. Yeah, it was pretty early. Yeah, yeah, so most of them were in person. So we've had to get pretty good at uh, communicating, you know, through Skype or Zencaster. It's a yeah. different vibe. It is it 100%. Really is. It's great that you guys have kept it going, and you know, mm-hmm. it's you'd like to do it more in person, but then you, you're, 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 your 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 bills be pretty high. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, when when we do go in person, they can get high sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you get a corporate jet. You guys you can, go. You guys could be everywhere. Well, our goal is to uh, after COVID is over, do a little tour of a lot of the places we've been to. That's a great. But idea. it's it might take a pretty decent while at this point. It, so. it could, but you'll probably, yeah, it sounds like you guys are going to some really cool spots, which is yeah. really Yes, sir. I know. Frankie's excited for some of the Canada ones we are going to go visit. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, well, well, yeah, closer, I guess, right? That's yeah, well, one in Toronto, one in Quebec. Yeah. Um, one in Windsor. Windsor. And actually, there's two in Quebec. Okay, yeah. Anything else you'd like to mention about the Heights? Anything that's been going on? Any future things people can look forward to? Yeah, plug some events. Oh, okay, sure. So, uh... We do our our new winter hours are posted. Um, they're Monday through Thursday from three p.m. until nine p.m. and then Friday we're open twelve to nine. Uh, Saturday uh, ten to nine, and then Sunday we do our our great Sunday brunch, which is ten a.m. to two p.m. Um, some upcoming events we're gonna have. Um, we have New Year's Eve coming up, so that's in January. Uh, we have that event upstairs. It's a private event up here. And then we have, we're doing a, a cellar wine dinner, um, which is going to be downstairs in the Brim House. And they're both available to book on eventbrite.com. Uh, and we, we're working on uh, a beer fest. We're working on a beer, potential doing, a, doing an outdoor beer fest where we'll bring out about uh, 10 vendors and all local Ohio craft beer and try to do a beer fest. We're trying to work and see where we can do that with COVID, uh, COVID restrictions and social distancing. But uh, it's something we're looking to do outside, uh, hopefully in the, in, after the new year. So that's kind of the next thing is to keep, the, the, keep that running. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep moving and adjusting with whatever the restrictions are, guys. And I think that's what everyone's doing. But one thing we'll do here is we won't stop trying to come up with ideas and to bring people out and to improve the experience. We'll just adjust to whatever the restrictions are and and keep on going. And I think that's the mindset you got to have, uh, you know, 
for the next for, for the next year at the, at, the, at the very least. To be honest, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Until next time. Until next time. Thank yes, you, sir. <laughs> All right, after hours, nation. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to stay updated, you can check out our site at afterhourscast.com. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday morning for our next episode. After Hours Nation, stay thirsty, my friends.